Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest is Brian Wojciechowski, MD, who practices medical oncology in Delaware County, Pennsylvania at Riddle, Taylor, and Crozer Hospitals, and also serves as BreastCancer.org's medical advisor. A native of South Philadelphia, he trained at Temple University School of Medicine and Lankenau Medical Center. Dr. Wojciechowski is a sought-after speaker on the topics of medical ethics and the biology of cancer. The European Society for Medical Oncology Congress 2021 featured a number of studies on breast cancer. Dr. Wojo joins us to explain the research that is most immediately applicable for people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Dr. Wojo, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's great to be with you again, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for helping us to understand all this research. So the first study I want to talk about is the Destiny Breast 03 study. And that was the one showing that in HER2, more than doubled the progression or the 12-month progression-free survival rate compared to CADSILA in people who'd been diagnosed with metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer that had been previously treated. And that study got a lot of media coverage. So first of all, could you tell us what progression-free survival is, just so everybody knows, and then can you explain the difference between and HER2, and Kedsila, and then finally tell us why these results were so impressive. Why did this generate so much media coverage? Yes, I can certainly talk about that, Jamie. So progression-free survival is the amount of time that a patient goes on the treatment where her disease, her cancer does not get worse, meaning it it doesn't get bigger, it doesn't spread to, to other areas of the body. And this is a very common way that we use to measure the effectiveness of chemotherapy drugs in practice. The difference between the two drugs in the study, first of all, let me, let me explain what they are. So in HER2 is a, an ADC, which is an antibody drug conjugate, okay? And what that means is it's kind of a Trojan horse principle here. So the antibody uh, attaches to the HER2 protein on the surface of the cancer cells. And the antibody itself is Herceptin. Now, these drugs being antibody drug conjugates, actually, they have attached a very potent chemotherapy drug to the the end of the antibody. Now, these, these chemo drugs are so potent that you can't give them to patients alone by themselves because they would they would cause uh, you know fatal side effects. But the other side of that is that they're extremely effective against cancer because they are so potent. So really, the only safe way to get these drugs into uh, the body and therefore into the cancer cells is to attach them to the antibody. And what this does is that it it, it directs the chemo drug safely to the cells. The, the HER2 positive cancer cells that bear the antibodies. So they're, they're so they're not going into any other, you know, they're not going into the bone marrow, they're not going into the, you know, the hair, hair cells and the, the GI system. They're going right to the um to the cancer cells which recognize this antibody 
as as something good, something friendly, like the Trojan horse. And then once it attaches to the cancer cell, it gets incorporated into the cell along with this very potent chemotherapy drug uh, that that is attached to the antibody. So both of these drugs that are being tested in, in this study are ADCs, antibody drug complexes. Oh, thank you for that. So I just want to bring up a, a more recent perhaps analogy. It's like if if anybody's familiar with Harry Potter, it's almost like an invisibility cloak, sort of, if that if you would agree with that, where where the, the antibody sort of puts the chemotherapy in an invisibility cloak and then takes it to the cancer cells. And then once it's there, the invisibility cloak comes off and the chemotherapy can do its work. Well, that's a very timely analogy indeed, because my, my kids have just gotten into Harry Potter ah, okay. and, and we just listened to the invisibility cloak part in the car the other day. I, I can't believe it. Um, but yeah, I guess more people today are familiar with Harry Potter than classical Greek literature. Probably, probably. But but it's a really great way to get these powerful, powerful chemotherapy drugs just to the cancer cells without sort of having them affect other cells in the body. That's right. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to use them. Okay. So continue. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So uh, so this study compared her 2 which is a newer ADC versus an older um, ADC called, called TDM1 or Kedsyla. Now, the, the present standard of care is for patients who, have, who are metastatic with HER2-positive disease who have progressed on initial therapy, such as Herceptin, Taxol, that sort of thing, and, and they, can get, uh, they can get Kedsyla right now. And, and also, but then right now, and HER2 is only uh, approved for third line after Kedsyla has failed. Uh, that that that's a little bit of a simplification, but that's basically how it is right now. So, you know, this is really the first time the two drugs have been compared head to head in a large uh, clinical trial, uh, and so a very significant difference was shown in terms of progression-free survival, meaning that the women in the study lived longer without their cancer getting worse or progressing. Um, and it was uh, 25 months versus seven months. So really a very, um, a very striking difference. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's why uh, it, it garnered so much media attention, because I don't think anyone was expecting such a big difference. Now, do you think this is going to translate? I know it's hard to figure this out or to anticipate this, but um, do you think this will translate into better overall survival, meaning how long people live, whether or not the cancer grows? It does look promising. Of course, it takes longer in a study to determine if overall survival is improved. But the trend was toward an overall survival improvement. So there is hope that this drug will, will cause patients to actually live longer as well. Okay. Now, as you said, right now in HER2, in a simplified way, is improved as or approved as a third-line treatment. So it's basically you try Herceptin, you try Cadsyla, and then if the cancer grows, you you can have in HER2. Do you think the results of this study are going to change that? I think it will, yeah. I would expect uh, an FDA approval for second line in HER2 uh, by the end of the year. 
Okay. Okay. Well, that's very promising. Now, I've already done podcasts with um, Dr. Hope Rugo on the Keynote 355 study and Dr. Gabriel Hortabaji on the Mona Lisa 2 study. So we've kind of covered those. Besides those two, what other breast cancer research really stood out for you at ESMO 2021 this year? Well, you know, the one that really uh, caught my attention was the brightness trial. And in this trial, this is, was in triple negative breast cancer where they're adding carboplatin to the upfront chemotherapy regimen. So basically any, anyone with triple negative breast cancer greater than two centimeters or with positive lymph nodes is eligible for neoadjuvant chemotherapy, meaning getting chemotherapy before surgery, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, this is, and this is very important in the triple negative space. So right now, most patients will get a combination of adramycin and cytoxan and then follow that up with a taxol. So that's three drugs. Um, but there are some docs who are actually doing four drugs, adding carboplatin to that mix. So, you know, this, this trial showed an improvement uh, with adding carboplatin. So, you know, I think this is kind of the direction that the field was moving in. But, you know, this could, this could really be a practice changer where, you know, where we, we could see a, a standard of care moving toward getting four drugs in the preoperative setting as opposed to three. Okay. And were there differences in side effects? Did carboplatin add to the side effects that the people experienced? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You would, you would kind of expect that, you know, three, four drugs versus three drugs. Uh, you know, there's going to be a high, a higher rate of, of certain side effects. I think we already knew that, you know, we already kind of expected that. And while there were a higher incidence of side effects, it didn't compromise uh, the treatment or the de- the ability to deliver all doses of the drugs that were planned. Okay, so how did carboplatin adding carboplatin to the to sort of the standard chemotherapy triplet? How did that help? Did PCR, which is we're going to have to explain that that's usually what doctors look at. Um, what after somebody gets chemotherapy before surgery, then they have surgery, and the doctors look at how much cancer is left. And if it's all gone, it's called a PCR. But if it's not all gone, I mean, you know, there's various stages of it. So is that what carboplatin did? Was there more PCR? Well, um, there's a few things to talk about, actually. So when they followed all the patients for four and a half years, there was a a significant improvement in event-free survival for the for the patients who received carboplatin versus the ones that did not receive carboplatin, and event-free survival is really um, it, it's it's almost it's almost like saying that they they didn't they didn't have any recurrence or anything like that, um, and 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 it, w- it was the time it took for them to have a recurrence. So, you know, basically they were cancer-free for longer if they had received um, carboplatin. And then you you asked me about the PCR. Mm-hmm. Yes, there there was a um, and and PCR means pathologic complete response, meaning you had chemo up front, and then when you went to surgery, uh, there was no uh, residual cancer left over in the breast. And this is kind of, you know, this is kind of the gold standard for for medical oncologists. This is what we want to see. 
Um, and, and having a PCR correlates with a better overall prognosis. So, yeah, PCR was improved in, in the patients that had uh, carboplatin. Okay. Well, that's good, too, because help, help me to understand it a little bit. I believe that if somebody has a pathologic complete response PCR, then they have surgery, then perhaps they don't need as much treatment after surgery. Is that true? Yeah, there are protocols where depending on how much residual cancer is left after surgery, uh, that, that we recommend additional uh, chemotherapy for patients afterward. Okay, so ha- so maybe like the benefits, even if there are more side effects of having four chemotherapy drugs before surgery, if there is a pathologic complete response, it could mean less treatment after surgery. So the benefits could definitely outweigh any risks or side effects. That's right. It's, it's all about risk and benefit always. Okay. So do you think that may become the standard of care then for triple negative disease? Yeah, I think there's a really good chance. Okay. Okay. Well, that also sounds promising. Were there other uh, studies that stood out for you? Uh, nothing really that I thought was groundbreaking or practice changing like what we already spoke about. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wojciechowski. This has been really helpful and I'm sure, you know, I'll be looking forward to seeing these uh, standards of care change and seeing if there's any new approvals for Inhertu. Very good. Thank you so much. Take care. Yes, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.